This week we're going to talk about walking into holiness and what that looks like. How, does, how do we walk in holiness? What it, how do we do this? You might have remembered last week that we talked about um, we were created by a holy God. Amen? Amen? Created by a holy God to be holy. What does that mean? It means that we're set apart. It means that we're uncommon. It means that we're unlike anything else in creation. God's doing something special with humanity. We have intimate fellowship with God because we are undefiled by sin and rebellion. That is what God created us for, to have intimate fellowship with Him. Amen? Um, we're going we're gonna to go back to the garden. Um, you guys might want to re-familiarize yourself uh, with the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. So you can crack it open to Genesis chapter 1 and just be in this place. I'm not going to read specific scripture out of Genesis, but sometimes it's good just to be there. Then God does something. We're going to, we're going to start in the garden because that's where this all began. How many know it all started in the garden? All right. Awesome. And God does something interesting that I think he wants us to take note of before we launch into this conversation about walking in holiness. Because when Adam and Eve were created, they were created in holiness. They had intimate fellowship with God. They walked in the cool of the garden and they, and they walked with the Lord. They literally were able to talk to God and see God and experience God. So it, we were created for that. God didn't create us to be the way that we are now. But then he does something very interesting. And maybe you guys have asked this question. He places a tree in the center of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many remember reading about that tree in the garden? Anybody ever wonder why God did that? And anybody ever wonder why, why would he create the possibility of us making wrong choices? Um, so why is that? I think the answer is uh, very interesting. And we actually, I think we touched on it over the last two weeks a little bit. But the reason is this, that God wanted there to be a real choice. He wanted there to be a real choice. And so there had to be, there had to be a choice available to us for love to be real. Love without choice is not love at all. And we talked about, gave examples of that. You know, if I hold a gun to my wife's head and say, I, you know, before she's my wife, let's say I walk up to her, you know, some woman, and I say, you know, you're really, uh, you know, you're kind of attractive. I'm, I, I think you're my wife. And I just put a gun on the table and I say, you know, I really think you should consider marrying me. Now, if she says yes with a gun on the table, is that love? Okay, well, that's exactly the way God created us. He didn't put a gun on the table. He said, listen, I made you to love me. I made you to have intimate fellowship with me. I made you to be holy, but I'm not going to make you do this. Now, the interesting thing is um, we get to choose to either stay in a love relationship with God or we get to choose to go our own way. Well, how many know what happened in the garden? Did we choose to stay in that love relationship with God or did, we stay, did they choose Adam and Eve to go their own way? To go their own way, okay? Here's the crazy part about this is that God, God was willing, you know, what happened on that day was very significant. 
Because when, he, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they opened a door in the spirit realm. They, were, they had been given, man had been given dominion over, over the earth. He had authority and dominion over the earth. And what happened when he said, you know what, I'm going to choose to go my own way. A doorway was opened to spiritual darkness. And on that day, death, destruction, sexual immorality, impurity, treachery, illness, disease, everything flooded into the creation on that day because of a choice. And here's the crazy thing is God was willing to accept that as a possible outcome. He was willing to accept that that might be what happens in order, in the hopes that we would turn back to him someday and choose him and choose to love him. So let's go to Romans 1, 18 to 22. We're going to take a look at Romans so that becomes, that becomes a significant milestone. Anybody not have a Bible? Not have a Bible. Okay, we've got a few of them here. Pauly, could you, get, could you grab some and just walk through and, and hand those out because we're going to need the Word. We're going to go through quite a bit of Scripture here in a short amount of time. When we made that choice, we opened the door to the realm of spiritual darkness. What comes into the world at that point is death, sin, rebellion, destruction, disease, abuse, rape, murder, genocide, perversion, and terror get loosed into the world. God reveals to us in Romans 1, we're going to pick up in, actually we're going to pick up in verse 19, that all creation is groaning right now under the weight of that spiritual darkness. In other words, because of that choice that was made and many other choices since then, with us coming into agreement with the kingdom of darkness and opening those doors, creation itself has been afflicted with consequences of our sin. And we're going to learn that that's a very important principle for us to understand. When you're given spiritual authority and responsibility over something, the choices that you make don't only affect yourself, but they affect everything that's been given to you, everything that's underneath your authority. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, okay? But what we need to see here is that the creation itself was afflicted with consequences as a result of our choices because we had been given dominion over creation. So starting in verse 19, this is what it says in the word of the Lord. Um, that first, okay, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, there's a couple key points from this passage. We touched on one. I'm going to bring it back again. When we're given spiritual authority, it comes with spiritual responsibility. Amen? Amen? When we're given spiritual authority, it comes with spiritual responsibility. The more authority we are given, the more responsibility that we have. Because they impact others. That's why God wants us to get this, particularly as men, but also as leaders that He is raising up in the body of Christ right now. How many know that if you're in this room, God has called you to be a leader? Okay, it's no accident that you're here. You are here because God wants to bring a 
parade of other people into the kingdom of God in your wake because of your obedience. As you follow Christ, he wants others to see the glory of God and follow you into the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Go to Luke 12. Go quickly to Luke 12. This is a very important thing to understand. As you're given greater and greater spiritual authority, you also have greater responsibility. It just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that even works in the natural. As you move up in position, as you're given greater favor, as you get promoted, you have greater authority in your job or in your workplace or maybe over a group of people in an organization. But you also, what goes with it is greater responsibility. It's why many people choose not to receive additional authority because they don't want responsibility. And for too long as men called into the kingdom of God, we've abdicated our our spiritual responsibilities. And God wants to turn that around. Okay? Let's look at Luke 12. Listen. Listen to what the word of the Lord is. Luke 12, starting in verse 47. This is the word of God. And a servant who knows what the master wants. Everybody at verse 47? A servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who, who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. Now, this next point is a significant one that lines up with what I feel like God really wants us to understand. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Amen? So here's that principle spelled out in Scripture. Spiritual authority comes with spiritual responsibility. And if you're in this room, you have spiritual responsibility. You're responsible for the information that you've been given, for the teachings that you've received over the last couple weeks, and as long as you stay here, everything that's been given to you in terms of revelation and understanding, God is expecting you to operate in it. And that's only fair. Amen? It's only fair that we should be expected to operate at the level that we've received understanding and revelation. Okay. Creation is groaning. We're going to come back to creation now. Creation's groaning, waiting for God's true children to be, re- t- true children to be relieved. Who are the children of God? We're going to go to... Um, I don't know where this first scripture is. I apologize. You're going to just have to believe me that it's in the Bible and I'll find out, give you the address later. I've just got it in my notes, but there's no uh, scriptural reference. Listen to what it says. Who are the children of God? This is important. So basically what we have is Adam and Eve made a choice. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They opened a door in the spirit realm and spiritual darkness came in, not only afflicted them and made them fallen and broken. and and, And how many can look around the world today and see brokenness and fallenness? Anybody... Anybody got a witness about the brokenness and fallenness of our world? Okay. So we're all in agreement that we are in a broken and fallen world at this time. But not only were all these people affected, creation itself is groaning, waiting for the restoration of God's true children because they walk in holiness and they will release righteousness and they will release justice upon the earth. So who are they? Listen to this. I want to read you this. Scripture, uh, and you'll get the address later. It says this in the Word of God. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in Him. 
Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Thank you. 1 John 3, my encyclopedia, Biblia, over here. Thank you, Jesus. 1 John 3, verse 4 through 6. So what God is saying is, listen, Jesus came to take away sin and to restore us to our original purpose. If you keep on sinning, you don't know who he is. You don't understand who he is. Okay, now we're going to go to first. Oh, okay, yeah, we're in first. That's right, I do have the address here. First John, go to first John 3 because we're going to continue to read. We're going to continue to read. This is important. First John 3, first John 3 verses 4 through 10. Let's all go there. Start, we're going to pick up in verse 7. Everybody there? 1 John 3, picking up in verse 7. It says this, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Did you hear that key phrase? Children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Children of God, beloved, are those that walk in holiness. Children of God are those that walk in holiness like Jesus did. The creation is groaning, waiting for the children of God to be revealed, waiting for men to answer the call of God to walk in holiness. We're going to talk about why. When we live in holiness, when we walk in personal holiness, what happens is we release holiness wherever we go. The kingdom of God, the presence of God is released wherever we go. We are, if you guys remember this scripture from last week, we're the salt of the earth. The salt is our personal holiness. When we walk in a room, it should change the spiritual atmosphere of what's going on there. When you come into the workplace and they're, and they're making dirty jokes and they're speaking in foul language, the presence of God on you should bring conviction upon them. And it does happen. If you walk in the room, I can't tell you, and I'm not speaking, it's, believe me, my, any personal holiness I have is from Jesus, believe me. But how many have experienced having a conversation with someone and all of a sudden they'll swear or something and then they'll apologize and they don't even know why? Anybody experience that? That is the holiness of God, the presence of God on you. It will bring people under conviction if we are walking in holiness. That's why God was, is calling us to a place of holiness so that... His kingdom can be released. Literally, beloved, here's what we've been called to be. We have been called to be living carriers of the presence of God. We are like living incense burners that are supposed to house the very presence of God. When we come into a store, when we go to the post office, when we come into our workplace, when we come into our churches, when we go out on the street... Holiness should be released. The presence of God should be released like a fragrance. People should know something's different about this person. Yeah. 
If people aren't saying that about you, beloved, I want to challenge you. This is not to come under condemnation. But there may be a deeper call to personal holiness that God is calling you into. Because I'm telling you, when Jesus was around, demons manifested. Because they couldn't stand the presence of God, the anointing, the fragrance of heaven that was on Him. That's what God wants to do in us. We need to be changers of the spiritual atmosphere of the city. The whole plan of God, the mystery of God is this. That you would come into a place of such deep intimacy that enough of us, He's waiting for a critical mass of believers. A critical mass. I don't know the number for the Twin Cities. He is waiting for a critical mass of believers to walk in consecration and personal holiness and prayer and fasting and intimacy with God so that it comes to a boiling point, a flashpoint. Have you ever heard of a flashpoint in a fire where a house begins to burn in different parts and all of a sudden the temperature gets up to a certain point and all of a sudden, boom! The whole house goes up in flames. Beloved, that is the strategy of God for the earth and the nations. That is the strategy of God for our city. Is that there will become enough burners, enough people who are burning hot enough with the holiness and the fire and the passion of God that all of a sudden the spiritual atmosphere hits a flashpoint and revival and transformation break out and the kingdom of God is released in the Twin Cities. Jesus said this, beloved, I have come to set the world on fire and how I wish it were already burning. Who do you think the kindling is? Who do you think, what, what do you think the substance is that's going to be burning? How is Jesus going to set the world on fire? One heart at a time. One heart at a time. Your heart is like a coal that God wants... It's why it's so important for us as believers who are going hard after the heart of God to, to be around one another. How many know that a coal out by itself will eventually go out? How many know that a, a pile of coals ignites things? Amen? Are you seeing this? You understanding what God's mysterious plan is for the nations and for our city and for our family and for our churches? that enough believers in a church will catch the fire of God and all of a sudden the Spirit of God will just take over, even if the pastor's sleeping. How many know it doesn't take a pastor to, to, to bring revival and transformation to a church? Okay, are we good on that? God will take any old, anybody, anybody who's willing to say yes to this call. Okay, amen. Go to 2 Corinthians 2. 2 Corinthians 2. Okay, are we there? Are we there, brothers? I'm going to check one more time. We have a... I heard like five voices, but I see like 70 guys in here. Are we at 2 Corinthians 2? Amen. Okay, hallelujah. Let's push on. Listen to what it says in verse 14, okay? Remember the incense burner picture. 
But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Are you seeing this? How many people have had unbelievers uncomfortably leave the room when you come in or not want to be around? You should. I'm just telling you, beloved, you should. That should happen. I'm telling you, that's available to us. That's the call of God in this hour is to bring us to that place where he can inhabit us so profoundly that it will affect the spiritual atmosphere of those around us. I want you guys to go to number 16, quickly to number 16, and I'm going to begin to explain the story as you go there. The story that we're talking about uh, is out of number 16, 46 to 50. Do you remember how Aaron stopped the wrath of God when the Israelites began to complain about the judgments that God pronounced upon Korah? I'm going, to, I'm going to revisit this story very briefly for those that aren't familiar with it. Basically, they had come out of the wilderness. Um, God had used Moses and Aaron in a powerful way to lead, lead the Israelites out. They'd seen signs and wonders. God had appeared to them a, by, as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. The Red Sea had been parted. They'd had manna from heaven. I mean, I'm talking about God showed up big time. Amen? Amen. Nobody questioned that God had been there and that God was leading these men that were leading them. And yet, even among the Israelites, a group of them rose up in rebellion against God's delegated leaders. And God came with radical judgment. Basically, there was a showdown at the tabernacle. Okay? I mean, Korah and his crew came, and Moses came out of the tabernacle and said basically something like this. It was something like Elijah's face-off with the prophets of Baal. You know, Moses is standing there going, listen, if we're, if we're of God and we're in righteousness, then, let, you know, then, then I pray that the ground will open up and swallow you. And if we're wrong, then the same for us. Basically, he said, whoever's right, God, you show who's right by opening up the ground. And then before the camp of Israel, the eyes of Israel, the ground opens up and swallows Korah and his family. Then the Israelites begin to complain and murmur that somehow Moses was responsible for killing these righteous men. Can you imagine? God says, get out of the way. I'm going to destroy them all. He's like, I'm over it. I mean, basically, he says, I'm over it. Because, in fact, what had happened is God had intended on destroying all the complainers initially, but Aaron and Moses had cried out. Can you imagine? The leaders had cried out for mercy upon the people and God had shown mercy and said very well I'll just deal with those that are the the ringleaders so he deals with the ringleaders and then all of a sudden all the all the you know the little peanut gallery starts popping like popcorn again complaining and murmuring can you believe those righteous men were swallowed up by the ground and God says that's it I've had it and he releases a righteous judgment upon the nation of Israel and then I want you to see what, what, what Moses tells Aaron to do. 
He says, I want you to take the incense burner, the burner that burns in the presence of the Lord, that releases holy fragrance incense, a special incense that's been prepared. Literally, that incense burner represents the presence of God. He said, I want you to take the incense burner and run out among God's people quickly between those that are dying and between those that are still living. And as he ran out with the incense burner, and I want us to understand what this represents. This represents because there was no righteousness in the camp of Israel. Literally what was happening is they were bringing the presence of God in between God and His wrath upon His people. They were bringing God out before the the judgments of God and His people. And as He did that, those that were... He stopped the plague. And it was a prophetic act because He knew that many generations later, God would have to come and stand between His wrath and the people who deserved His righteous judgments. And that's us. So I'm telling you something. There's something very powerful about us moving among our city and releasing the fragrance of God in our city. Releasing the fragrance of God in our families. I would, I would propose to you that when we walk in holiness and we release the fragrance of God, we stay the, ju- the righteous judgments of God upon our nation, upon our city, upon our families, if we are walking in holiness before Him. And if you don't, if you don't think that's right, I'm going to bring you to another scripture. Um, I want you to go to Genesis 18. If you don't think our walk... Cause this, is what I'm, this is how I want to challenge you, beloved. Our walk of holiness can change the destinies of our families, of our neighborhoods, of our cities, and of our nation. Why would we want to do that so that more can be saved? If we prolong the judgments of the Lord, the righteous judgments of the Lord, it's only so that more can be saved. Listen to this. If you don't believe me, go to Genesis 18, 20 to 33. And you can peruse that, peruse that passage of Scripture. I'm just going to paraphrase a dialogue that goes on. I'm going to tell you just to refresh you about what's going on here in Genesis 18. God has already purposed in his heart. The Lord comes to Abraham and he's with two of his angels. And he says to Abraham, I'm on my way to Sodom and Gomorrah because the wickedness of this city has risen up to me like a stench in my nostrils. And I've determined in my heart that they need to be destroyed. And then Abraham begins this dialogue with the Lord and he says, well, Lord... Because he's struggling. He's, he's struggling with the justice of God. He's a human being. How many of you have ever struggled with a passage of Scripture and gone, God, how, you know, could you, is that really you? Could you really do something like that? How many have struggled with that, just honestly? I mean, God telling people to kill babies and children and, and families, I mean, that's pretty, that's, that's hard. <laughs> that's hard to wrestle with, amen? So Abraham's just making it real, man. He's just like, God, If there were, he starts asking him hypotheticals. If there were 50 righteous people in Sodom, would you spare the city? And the Lord says, I I would spare the city if there were 50 righteous people. And Abraham, he's walking in, he knows who he's talking to, okay? So he's got the fear of the Lord. He knows this is a God who's about to take out a city. And he's kind of questioning him and, you know, digging into his motives. And maybe you felt that sometimes, like, I don't even want to go there. 
I don't even want to go there. I don't want to let my brain go there. But I want to tell you what we find out from scriptures. God's not afraid of your brain going there. Come to him. Bring your hard problems. He'll answer you. If you want wisdom, he'll give it to you. Trust me, he's far more just and righteous than we ever will be. If our sense of justice is offended, I assure you, his sense of justice is offended. The problem is we don't see things from his perspective. That's our problem. We don't see things from a perspective of eternity. We need to realize that. So Abraham asked him again, well, uh, Lord, if there were 30 righteous people, would you spare the city? And the Lord says, I would. For 30 righteous people, I would save the whole city. If you could show me 30 righteous people in this city, I would spare it. He says, how about, and he keeps going down and, and eventually gets to 10. He says, how about, Lord, I, I know this seems like a silly question to you, but how about 10? If there were 10 righteous people in this city, would you spare the city? And the Lord said, you know, if there were 10, I would spare the city. And your sense is, as you listen to this dialogue, that if there were one, he would spare the city. Now what he chose to do in this instance is he, I don't even know that Lot was righteous, to be honest with you. I just think it was the mercy of God. As Abraham interceded for him, the Lord spared his life. But I don't know that he was righteous. I don't know that Lot was righteous. I don't know that there was one in Sodom. And the Lord did destroy the city. You know the story. Lot and his wife came out. Of course, his wife turned back, turned into a pillar of salt. Like, oh, do I really want to leave all that? You made your choice. So I just want to say this. I believe that we have a God that is in the business of saving cities based on the righteousness of a few people. And I know that we can't do it by our own righteousness, but we have something that they didn't have. We have the Spirit of the Lord inside of us, willing to make us holy. And if we're willing to, if we're willing to walk in that holiness, I believe that we can affect the spiritual atmosphere of this entire city. Even a group of men this size let alone 300 full-time missionaries that are sold out and abandoned and walking in consecration to the Lord. Okay. Are you guys receiving this? You understanding? Okay. So how do we do it? How do we, how do we walk into holiness? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk about walking into holiness because I'm going to tell you something. You don't just instantly become holy. Anybody instantly become holy in here? I'm not talking about theological holiness. I'm not talking about prophetically you have the potentiality to walk in holiness because that, that is true of all of us if we've surrendered our lives to God and received the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about actually walking into it. Well, um, you might not be surprised about this, but that walk into holiness all starts with Jesus. Amen? Okay, so... Dark Spiritual darkness was released into the world through Adam and Eve and through a choice they made. Jesus, and do you remember what happened in that story after they left the garden? The door, the gate, the door to the garden, and, and if you don't know this, the garden, I believe, is a prophetic representation of the kingdom of God. It's where God dwells. It's dwelling with God in a place where He is. It's the kingdom of God. So the doors to the kingdom of God were closed when Adam and Eve left that garden and he stationed an angel in front of that gate with a flaming sword, basically, that passed back and forth, essentially what God was saying is no readmittance. And what happens with Jesus is Jesus opens that door back up for us. 
Hallelujah. All of a sudden, the door to the garden is open again. Go to Romans 5. Go to Romans 5. Jesus opens the door back into the garden, back into the presence of of a holy God, back into the heart of God. We have a way to get back into the heart of God. Start, we're going to go to Romans 5 very quickly. Go to Romans 5. All right, Romans 5, we're going to start in verse 15. Listen to this now. Remember this picture of Adam releasing darkness. The doors to the garden are closed. Jesus comes, offers himself as a sacrifice to atone for that darkness, and the doors open again, starting in verse 15. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Go to John 10. John 10. A little bit more on this idea of Jesus opening the door for us to return into the kingdom of God. John 10. John 10. This is the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking by the under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. Now I'm in verse 6. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Are you seeing this? How Jesus is the gate back into the garden? The gate back into the presence of God? Go to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Three Gospels earlier. First Gospel after the book of Malachi. 
Matthew 27, we're going to look at verses 50 and 51. This is, this is a very significant scripture. And, 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 and before we even get into this, I want to just back up a little bit and unpack this for you guys. When the Jewish temple was established, they established an outer court, okay? Um, actually, there was a court of the Gentiles, and then there was an outer court um, where only Jews could come in. And then there was the temple itself that only the priests, only the Levites could come in the temple itself, and then there was a, which was called the holy place. And then there was another place that was behind a veil, a very heavy veil called the most holy place. And only the high priest, only the high priest could go into that, into that place, typically one time a year at the time of atonement, where he would go and offer this, you know, uh, and go before the Lord on behalf of the people, and represent the people on behalf of uh, the Israelites. And they would do all kinds of sacrifices, and, and, and before he would even go in, they would cover him with blood and spray him with blood and purify him and cleanse him of any sin before he went in there. And typically what they would do is tie a rope around the high priest's leg, so that if he went in and he was not in a state of holiness or purity before the Lord and he was struck dead, they could pull him out from behind the veil because nobody else wanted to go in there. If the high priest didn't make it, okay, we'll wait till God raises up another high priest. Amen? Okay, nobody was volunteering for the next high priest job. I just, all that to say that represented, that was where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the covenant was inside the Ark um, Aaron's staff was also in there, uh, inside the ark that was inlaid with gold. That was where, above the ark, where the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence of God in all His holiness, was there in that temple at all times, until, of course, we find out later that He withdrew His presence from the temple at different times because of the sin of the nation. But at this time, His presence was in there. So this curtain was a serious curtain. I mean, it wasn't a curtain that anybody goes, well, who wants to look behind the curtain? And just kind of check out what's back there. I mean, everybody knew that the glory of God was back there. And unless you were in a place of absolute holiness, don't even think about even looking over in that direction. Okay, are we, are we understanding where we're at here? Okay, this is what happens. Now we pick up in Matthew 27 where Jesus is on the cross. And He's crying out. This is His final cry on the cross. He says this, Then Jesus shouted out again and He released His Spirit. And at that moment... The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And beloved, what that represents is that Jesus was taking that wall of separation that was represented by that curtain. It was torn from top to bottom to represent, number one, human beings didn't do this. It wasn't from earth to heaven that this happened. It was from heaven to earth. It was, it was God sending His Son down as a sacrifice that rent this and restored us, gave us access once again by the blood of the Lamb into the very presence of the Lord. Amen? Are you seeing this? Okay. So the one man opened the door to spiritual darkness and, and as a result we were cast out of the presence of God and the gate was closed to us forever. And God in His mercy said, I am going to send My presence among My people. I'm going to come in the flesh manifest in the flesh, become a human being, and give my life so that they can be restored into my presence through Him. Amen? Okay. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross made a way for us to return to God. Okay? 
If the cross made a way, if the cross represents the gate, then repentance, and we're going to be talking about camping out on repentance here a little bit, because repentance is something you guys have to get it. This is central to the gospel message. Repentance represents our agreement to walk through the door and begin the journey into the kingdom of God. Okay, the door being available to us does not represent us coming into the kingdom. We have to then come into agreement with that, and that's what we do through repentance. Repentance is us coming into agreement with what God has done, Christ has done, passing through those doors and entering into the kingdom of God on our journey. Okay? We're going to unpack that a little bit more. Go to Matthew 3, 2. We're going to talk about repentance and how central it is to the gospel message. Matthew 3, 2. We see a man by the name of John the Baptist. He was set apart from before his birth. Remember being set apart? Remember being set apart? Remember God set this baby apart from before it was born and said, you are going to be a prophet. You are going to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. Isaiah had prophesied about John the Baptist. There will be a messenger that goes before the Messiah. There will be a messenger that comes. That a voice in the wilderness that says, prepare a straight path for the Lord to travel. How many remember that being spoken of in Isaiah? And then when the Pharisees and the religious leaders came to John the Baptist and said, who are you? He quoted that verse in Isaiah and he said, I am a voice shouting out in the wilderness, prepare a straight path for the Lord to travel. That's a significant message for us to understand. John was there to prepare hearts for God to come and enter into hearts, for us to be prepared to even receive the Messiah. He was there to prepare hearts to receive the Messiah. What was his message? We find out in Matthew 3, 2. What was that word from God that was designed to prepare hearts to be able to receive Christ as the Messiah? Repent! Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And God demonstrated the kind of repentance He was looking for in Matthew 3.8. Go six verses down. He's not talking about us saying a nice prayer in front of a bunch of people. That's not repentance. He says this in verse 8. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. In other words, beloved, the God of the Bible... The God that searches darkness and sees every little detail, every hidden motive in our hearts. That God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the uncreated one, that God is saying to us, I'm not interested in lip service. I'm not interested in the things that you say as much as I'm... Those are important. But I'm interested in the deeper things, the things that are in your heart. I'm looking for how it manifests in your actions. Prayers are nice, but actions are even better. If you didn't say a prayer and you just repented in your heart and began to follow the Lord, He'd be far more impressed than a fancy prayer. The message of repentance that John preached was a prophetic picture of what we personally need to do to prepare our hearts to receive the indwelling Spirit of God. What we do to prepare our hearts to receive the Holy Spirit is that we repent. When we repent, which is basically this, 
We're just going to contrast very quickly the difference between confession and repentance. Repentance is a real spiritual word. It's loaded up with a bunch of junk. And I pray that God will break off all the shame and condemnation and garbage that's around this word. Because I'm telling you, repentance is your friend. Repentance is the best thing that ever happened to us. Jesus comes out of his temptations in the wilderness. And this is his message. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Sound familiar? They're remarkably consistent, these prophets. They seem to continue to bring the same thing. God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never going to change. He's calling us to repent. Why? Because we're going our own way. We're trapped in darkness and deception. And unless we turn to Him, we'll be destroyed. It's His mercy and His grace. Okay, here's what happens. I'm going I'm to just break this out in another way for you guys. Um, because this is important. There's some false teaching around this, and we really got to clarify it. Jesus, how many know that Jesus died for the sins of the world? Okay. How many know that not everybody's going to be in the kingdom of God? Okay. How do we reconcile that? I would propose to you this is how, and we're going to, we're going to look at some scripture about it. Here's the deal. Um, the cross requires a response from us. Okay. The cross without repentance doesn't do anything for us. The cross is a prophetic potentiality. It's saying there has been an appropriation of atonement for your sins. Now it requires your heart to respond to it. That's what repentance is. Repentance brings us into covenant with God. And we're going to hear, we heard some from Ben. We're going to hear more from Ben in a few weeks about covenant and how important covenant is. Covenant is promises that go both ways. Amen? Amen. It's not one way. A lot of the churches preached a one-way covenant, and it's not a one-way covenant. There are responsibilities on our side. The main responsibility we have is repentance. When God reveals things in our hearts that are inconsistent with Him, it's not okay. If, you, if He reveals Himself or He reveals things to you and you continue to walk the same way, you are headed for destruction. It doesn't matter if you said a prayer once upon a time. You are expected to operate in the revelation you've been given. If God reveals it to you, He's calling you to repent. And He'll give you the power to do it if you do. He says effectively, if you, if you want to love me, turn away from the idols of your heart. That's what this is about, beloved. It's about love. It's about a love affair that God has with us. He's saying, if you want to love me, Turn away from the idols in your heart, the things that are capturing your heart and taking your heart away from me. And as you turn away from them, I'm going to pour out my grace and my mercy and my love upon you. Are we tracking this? Are we understanding? Okay. Awesome. Go to, uh, go to 1 John 1. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Jesus, really what Jesus is saying to us is this, leave your slavery to sin and become slaves of righteousness. You guys heard me talk about that last week, I think. Leave your slavery to sin and become slaves of righteousness. Listen to this, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare it to you. God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. There's no darkness in God at all. Listen to this now. 
Because this, this will nail lots of people who say they're Christians. Okay? Lots of people who say they're Christians have got to have a, you know, a confrontation with this word. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Are you seeing this? If you're living in the light, in other words, if you're living in a place of repentance, then the blood of Jesus cleanses you. If you're still living in the dark, the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse you. If you're still living in sin, the blood of Jesus is not cleansing you. There has to be repentance for there to be the cleansing of the blood. Amen? We're not expected to repent for things that we don't know about, but we're going to talk about that. That's not a place to hide. Okay? You know, I, I, sometimes I talk to guys and they're like, man, I just wish I didn't know all this stuff about God. You know, they're kind of like in that heart posture of la, la, la. You know, can I not get any more information because I'm going to be responsible for it? Beloved, that, that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work and we're, we're going to see why. Um, here's another important point. We're going we're to continue on to verse 8 and this is going to become important for the time of ministry that's coming up here in a little bit. If we claim we have no sin... We're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But, this is the good news, beloved, because there's some weight to this word. I understand that. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. You see what happens when we confess and we repent. There's forgiveness available, but there's a cleansing that happens. We receive healing and deliverance when we confess our sins. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. Here's, a, here's an important point out of that passage. Without transparency, okay? If you're not willing to be transparent before other men, you know, we can confess our sins to God, but there, there comes a point where the Lord says, you know what? I need you to humble yourself not only before me, but before men. I need you because you know what? It's not that humbling to confess our sin before God because quite honestly, he knows about it all, right? I mean, it's not like when we come to God and say, you know, God, I, I really, you know, I repent for lust. I mean, I've been looking at what he's like, I, you know what? I know I'm, I'm well aware of what you've been doing. I see every meditation of your heart. There's no place you can hide from me. So it's not shocking, although he still asks us to do that. He wants us to come before him and confess and repent. I'm not saying there's nothing transacting there. But there comes a point where we've been in a sin long enough where he says, you know what, it's just not stinging enough. You don't have a revelation of how big a deal this is to me. This time I want you to confess before men. It's what happened to our brother Paul. Our brother Paul, God was gripping him in such a way that he's like, you know what, for me to release my grace upon you, I want you to stand up. And I want you to repent before these men. Now, was the Lord trying to humiliate, that, humiliate our brother? Absolutely not. Was he trying to humble him? Yeah, I think so. I think he wanted to humble him. But you know what happened when he stood up and he confessed his sin? How many in this room felt a freedom to confess your sin after he did? That opened a doorway for others to be able to enter into confession and repentance. See, the enemy wants us bound up in shame and, him, and, and condemnation so that we keep our sins in the dark, so that we stay in bondage. And the only way out is through confession and repentance, beloved. It's the only way out. 
James 5.16 says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There we have a direct linkage between confessing and receiving healing. I believe that he is going to receive breakthrough in the area of purity. I believe that God is going to free him. I believe he's free from pornography if he chooses to walk in obedience to God from this point forward. I believe that brother is free because I think God provisioned the grace for him to walk out of it when he came up here and confessed his sin to all of us. Something broke in the spirit over his life when he was willing to humble himself before men. Are you seeing how this works? And when we become less, when we're willing to humble ourselves, the Spirit of the Lord becomes greater. His power works best in our weakness. How many know it's, it's, it's weakening to come up before other men and confess you're in sin? I'm going to have the opportunity to do it at the end of this message. Because if you think God's not dealing with me, you're kidding yourself. I have zero authority to minister to you or to release this word unless God is as my brother Kerry likes to say, putting the sword of the word through my own heart first. I have no authority to talk about it. Okay. We're going to talk, I'm going to go through very quickly. So why is it that we don't repent? Why don't we repent? What is it about repentance? Why don't we do it? If this is the way to freedom, if this is the way to enter the kingdom of God, why don't we do it? The first reason is this. The first reason is false teaching. There's much false teaching in the church today that keeps us out of this reality and this requirement of repentance. I want to I talk about that because there, 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 is a lot, there are many forms of the gospel that are floating around out there in the church of America that, that express an unbiblical form of grace, an unbiblical expression of grace, and they need to be torn down. I, I'm sorry, beloved. They need to be torn down or we're going we're gonna to see many, many people entering the fire. And, it's, and I, I feel for the shepherds that are not preaching the word of God. There, there are, I pray for them right now. Can we just pray for them right now? I just, let's pray. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would grant revelation and repentance, that you would bring revelation to your pastors. Father, your messengers, Lord, you say in your word they are held to a higher standard. Oh God, would you meet them in the night hours and make your word come alive to them. I pray that there would be pastors that even receive this message, Father, that they wouldn't take offense at your word, but instead would humble themselves before your word, not before men, but before God. They would acknowledge their wrongdoing, Father. They would turn from their wrongdoing and they would preach the word of God. They would preach the word of God that saves and transforms in Jesus' name. Release your love upon their lives, Lord, in your mercy, in Jesus' name. I'm, I'm not going to cover all of the ones. Um, I'm not going to cover all of them. Um, but there are false gospels and they've left many with a false assurance of salvation. This is very dangerous. These gospels are very popular because they don't require anything of us. You know, it doesn't require anything of us. So lots of people tend to cling to them. Um, the scriptures warn about that. They say in the last days, many will have itching ears that hear what they want to hear. They'll find pastors, and often people will leave churches to find pastors that will preach gospels that don't require them to do anything. I'm telling you, beloved, that's a very dangerous thing that is, that is going on in the end time. So I, I feel like the Lord wants to release these to you so that you understand the significance 
and the importance of understanding the difference between the real gospel and these counterfeits. The first one is, is I'm just going to show some of the, do some of the more pervasive ones. The first one's called universalism. This is kind of what it sounds like. Jesus died for everyone's sins. In other words, everyone's going to be saved because of what Jesus did. A lot of New Agers grab onto that one because they like it. Everybody's, we're all, you know, we're all getting saved. Um, of course, Matthew seven thirteen to 14 debunks that. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, you can enter God's kingdom only through a narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad for the many who choose to go that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Okay, clearly, from this scripture, it is not true that everyone's going to be saved. Are we, amen? Okay, very few will ever find it. I think we know why very few will ever find it because the kind of gospel that Jesus is preaching is the kind that requires you to repent, to turn around and to go His way. The second gospel, very pervasive. It's called the cheap grace gospel. You've probably heard this one. If you say Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, you'll be saved. And there's scripture to back that up. The problem is it doesn't reflect the whole counsel of God. It reflects the counsel of a few select scriptures that have been kind of duct taped together to create a gospel that doesn't require anything. And, and it, does, it says no matter how you live your life, you're going to be saved. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, I can't tell you how many people I run into on the street that go, oh yeah, I'm down with Jesus. And you know, there's alcohol in their breath and they're throwing F-bombs left and right. Hey man, sorry, Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit. That ain't the fruit of the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm telling you, we need to understand this. Um, I'm going to just read you out of James 2. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. You believe Jesus is Lord. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in fear. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without works is dead? Faith without good deeds is useless. This is James chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Now again, we're not saved by works, but works are the fruit of salvation. If you don't have works, hey, hello, should be some works there. Not out of human effort, but by the grace of God. If you're getting intimate with the Lord, He's going to produce works in your life. Okay. Here's the deal. Belief or faith in Jesus that doesn't result in surrender, repentance, obedience, and intimacy is not the kind of faith that will save you. You can say you believe in Jesus all day long, but if it's not accompanied by surrender and repentance and obedience and intimacy, it's not the kind of faith that will save you. This other one, um, I'm going to jump over that because I want to get to... I'm going to say, share one more with you. There's many of these, and I, and I can't go through them. I, I apologize for that, but I want to get to kind of some meat and potatoes here before we take this in and finish the message. Um, the last one is that I'm going to bring up tonight is called the religious gospel. You've probably heard this one. You believe that going to church, being part of Bible studies, or being a good person gets you into the kingdom of God. You can do religion all day long. You can go to church every week. You can do Bible studies if you don't have a personal relationship with God that starts with surrender and continues with surrender every day of your life, it's not the kind of gospel that's going to save you. And I want to tell you something. I talk to evangelists all the time. In fact, one of my good friends, Paul Ridgway, says, I talk to 80% of the people I talk to think that they're going to be saved because they're going to church. Whoa. Whoa. The second reason why we don't repent, the first reason is false teaching. 
People don't repent because they, they're not taught that they need to repent. The second reason is we don't want to. How about that for profound? Many times we'll acknowledge wrongdoing, but we have no desire or will to turn away from the sin God's revealing to us. And we talked about that. It's confession without repentance. You go to the prayer meetings every single week and you're praying and repenting for the same stuff, but really there's no desire in your heart to turn away from it. You haven't settled the issue that this is something that's bad for you or going to destroy you. I want to say this to you, beloved, because I've been there in certain parts of my life and I think, how many have experienced that? I mean, you've repented many, many times for the same sins and you're wondering, why is there no desire for me to turn away from this? I mean, I, I see it. I know it's wrong. I, intellectually, I understand I'm supposed to turn away from this, but I just don't have the heart to turn away. Okay. Check this out. Repentance is actually a gift from God. You could be stuck in a sin that God has simply turned you over to the consequences of, and that's possible. He does that. I'm going to just read this to you out of 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. This is Paul talking about one of the believers in the church. 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. He's given instruction to the Corinthian church. He says this, Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan. Whoa! This is the apostle that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament saying, Throw the guy over to Satan. Okay, we, maybe we should read on, huh? Okay, let's do that. So that, listen to this, his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Sometimes we need to be thrown over to the consequences of our sin to bring us to real repentance. I know people in, the, in this room that have had that's happened to. They intellectually understood that going back to the world and doing things were going to open doors to the demonic. They knew all the scriptures about seven demons, even worse, coming back if they went back to their old ways. They knew it all in their head. But they needed a revelation of the actual destruction that was going to be released in their life. And so we did something that I often do as the Spirit leads, not all the time. Um, sometimes we need to ask God to give us a revelation of the consequences of our sin. Sometimes we need God to give us a revelation of exactly what it's going to look like down the road if we stay on this path. Now, you know, that, that's not a real popular Christian prayer. I don't hear a lot of people praying it. But I'm going to tell you, it's extremely effective. And I've had people who let me pray that for them. Um, in fact, I want to... Well, let's go to Proverbs 14.12. Go to Proverbs 14.12 very quickly. Okay. Here's what it says. There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. When we've asked God to reveal the consequences of sin, He's been really accommodating. Why? Because He wants to turn us away from our sin. I'm going to tell you a couple quick stories. There was one man uh, that was in pornography. We've had a couple people share about pornography issues. Well, what we did is, you know, we ministered the Word of God to him. We said, brother, this is, this is not good. You are opening doors that are affecting not only you, but your family. He said, you know, I just... I just don't know about that. And that's what he kept saying. Well, you know, I just don't know about that. What had happened to this man? He had rationalized. 
his sin. He did not have a revelation of the consequences of his sin. So we asked Jesus, we just said, would you be open to us asking God to reveal to you what the consequences of your sin are? He said, no problem. So we prayed and we asked the Holy Spirit to come and just show him what was going to happen. And what God showed him was his wife having three miscarriages that year. And he began to weep. And the Spirit of God began to break his heart. Because all of a sudden, his pornography wasn't his friend anymore. His pornography had killed three of his children. That's what some of us need. Some of us need a revelation of the consequences of our sin. There was another brother that was kind of messing around. The enemy was tempting him about getting back into, into drugs. And he was tempted and he wasn't sure. And he was like, and, and we we're in another, we we're actually ministering to another guy and, and we prayed that prayer. But the guy that was ministering as we were praying that prayer, the Lord revealed to him what the consequence would be if he continued to use drugs. And what God showed him was him picking up his son, picking up his son and throwing his son off of a cliff. He was empowered by that revelation to turn away from drugs. Some of us need a revelation of the consequences of our sin. Amen? Okay. You know what? I just want to, let's do that right now. I just, you know, if there are strongholds that you know about, I just would like to ask everybody to close their eyes. I just feel like the Lord wants us to do this. Anybody who's willing to see, okay? Really what this is, is it's about freedom. Sometimes, I don't know if, about you guys, but there's two types of people. The one that have to hit the wall 100 miles an hour and the other ones who can watch somebody hit it at 100 miles an hour, get a revelation and turn to God before they need to hit. And I just know that there's some guys that are on a trajectory for, towards a wall. And, and I just believe God will release grace for you. And so, Father, we come before you and we just ask you right now across this room, Holy Spirit, would you, would you highlight an area of sin? Many of us know what it is. Holy Spirit, you've already brought it up already. You've already touched our hearts about it. Would you give us a revelation of the consequences if we continue in that sin? Would you show us, Lord? Show us where it's going to end up. Show us where it's going to go. For those that need to see it, if others are able to turn by your grace without it, so be it, Lord. But those that need that, I just ask that you would provision that right now. All right. We're going to move on. The Lord may give it to you later tonight. He may have given it to you already. He may give it to you later. There's some other things that I feel like he wants us to understand. The second reason, so we've had a couple now. The first reason we don't repent is that uh, from false teaching. Second reason is we don't want to. Third, we lack revelation of the consequences of our sin. The fourth is we're blinded to sin in our lives. We're blinded to sin in our lives. I want to give you guys a real clear example of this. How many have been in a fight with someone and walked away, and the only thing spinning through your mind is how messed up the other person is. How whacked out they are, how off track they are. Anybody ever experienced that? You get in a fight with somebody, and you walk away, and the only thing running through your mind is, man, are they, they're just messed up. 
That's an example of something that we all have. It's called, a, it's a natural self-defense mechanism that causes us to, generally speaking, blame most of our problems on other people, okay? Thanks, you guys. We just bless you, man. The Teen Challenge guys are going to roll. Thank you. You guys will be able to hear the rest of this on CD later. Yeah. Bless you guys. Okay. Go to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Jesus understood this tendency of the flesh. So every one of us has a built-in self-defense mechanism. And that self-defense mechanism causes us to, generally speaking, make all of our problems somebody else's fault. Okay? It happens in marriages. Amen? Lots of times that happens in marriages. Jesus understood this tendency of our flesh, which is why He warned us in Matthew 7, starting in verse 3. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Okay? Jeremiah 17.9. Uh, go to Jeremiah 17.9. I know I'm whipping you guys through this. Believe me, there's going to be a, a, a PDF with these notes up online. Jeremiah 17.9. Here's the other reality we need to understand, beloved. We're very prone to self-deception. We are very prone to self-deception. Jeremiah 17.9 says it this way, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Okay? Are we seeing this? Our own hearts are incredibly deceptive especially as it relates to our own spiritual condition or things that challenge our flesh. Um, we're not going to go into... Uh, actually, yeah, we are. We're going to go to go to Revelation, the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, chapter 3, I believe. We are very blind, especially to our own spiritual condition. We're going to read out of uh, Revelation 3, starting in verse 15. This is Jesus speaking to the church. I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Here's the key verse that I want us to hone in on. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The Lord is basically saying, listen, you think you're okay, but you're not okay. In this area of evaluating your own spiritual condition, you're not very strong. This is an area of weakness for all of us, for all of us. Then he says at the end of verse 22, this is a very important scripture also. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. That's a very important, important scripture 
And we'll talk about why in just a moment. Because the bottom line is that ears to hear thing is very important because if we're honest with ourselves, another reason we don't repent is that we don't want to hear. We don't want to hear. We don't want to hear what's wrong with us. We don't want to hear where there's brokenness. We don't want to hear where we've got judgments against our brothers. We really don't want to hear it. There are parts of our heart, if we're honest with ourselves, parts of every one of our hearts that just don't want to hear it. Now, that's what Jesus is referring to when he says ears to hear. Basically, what Jesus is saying to us is, do you want to know the truth? Are you willing to hear what I see? Are you willing to see what I see? Are you willing to hear what I have to say? Even if it means challenging some of your most precious idols. Okay. I want to just talk. Um, the, now, the problem with that is the consequence of that when we, when we don't want to hear, even in secret places in our heart, is that we don't hear and we experience consequences of not hearing. The consequence is we don't hear God because he doesn't say you get to just hear the things you want to hear and all the encouragements and everything else. And the truth is you got to hear, you got to kind of take the whole enchilada. You know, it's kind of an all or nothing thing. If you, if you want to hear God's voice, you got to hear it all, even when he brings discipline and correction. And I see that quite a bit. I see a lot of Christians that like to hear about blessings and great prophecies spoken over them, but they don't want to be corrected by God. They don't want to be disciplined by the Lord. There are certain areas, and I just want to highlight these to you, and, and I pre- you guys were really close to, to, to winding this up, but there's certain areas that we really don't hear very well, and I want you guys to be aware of these. Number one, sex. When it comes to the opposite sex, we don't hear very well. We hear what we want to hear. When it comes to uh, the other thing we have trouble uh, hearing is when it comes to money. When it comes to money or our finances or provision, we don't hear very well. Basically, things that impact our flesh or our comfort level are things that we don't hear very well. Also, things related to self-promotion. Most of the time I see people who are walking in carnal Christianity believing that they should be promoted spiritually before a leader identifies them as being promoted. Typically, that because that's because they're listening to their flesh or listening to the enemy, not listening to the Spirit of the Lord. It's difficult to hear when it has to do with your own self-promotion. Okay? So when we're in those situations, God is saying to us, He's challenging us to bring advisors around us in those areas of our lives, people that we're in real relationship with that can help us hear. Because we have blind spots. Amen? There's areas we don't hear very well and we need to have others who are filled with the Spirit. I'm talking about trusted advisors. Don't go running around telling everybody the secret things that are going in your heart or you're going to get blasted. You're going to get slimed on. But ask God, who are those people that you put in my life that you want me to hear about, particularly connected to these issues that I know I have challenges hearing? Okay? Here's the other thing. Here's the danger. Here's the danger of not wanting to hear. Go to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. We got Hebrews 3. I want 
want to say this to you guys because this is a real consequence of, of resisting hearing the Lord. When we resist hearing the Lord, what happens is our hearts get hardened in that area. If our hearts get hardened, it means they get resistant to hearing the Lord in that area. And so God will come and speak to you a few times and after He speaks to you a few times and you kind of push Him off, your heart gets hardened and then He continues to try and speak to you, but your heart is so hardened you cannot hear Him. And so you will go and you'll experience the consequences of that. And we're going to pick up in Hebrews 3.7 to, listen to uh, listen to this. Here's the problem of not hearing Him. I mean, let's take it to its logical conclusion. Here's the problem. If we can't hear God, we can't obey Him. And if we can't obey Him, we'll never enter the kingdom. So this is, this is a serious issue. We do not want to be resisting the Spirit of God. And that's why the Scriptures warn us in Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. As Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. How many know what the place of rest is? It's the kingdom. If you harden your heart against the Lord, if you resist His promptings and His correction, you're putting yourself in a dangerous place. Go to Luke 8.18. Luke 8.18. I'm going to read it to you. Just because I want to move this along. Listen to what it says. Actually, don't go there. Just listen to what it says. You can go there later. The Scriptures will be up on the Internet. It says this, So pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. Are you guys understanding the significance of putting ourselves in a place where we can hear God and desire to hear Him even when it's correction? Amen? Okay. Here's the deal, beloved. We need to change our heart posture if we really want to hear God. Go to Psalm 139. This is our last scripture of the night. Psalm 139. This is sort of, this is the heart of the whole matter. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Okay. I'm not going to read the whole psalm to you, although um, I'd really encourage you to read it. The first verse is this, O Lord, You've examined my heart and know everything about me. Then down in verse 3, it says, You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Going down to verse 7, it says, I can never escape from Your Spirit. I can never get away from Your presence. Verse 11, I could ask darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. Down in verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And this is everything right here. I want you guys to listen. If you listen to nothing else, listen to this, because this is the heart posture that we have got to be in in order to move in the things of God. 
He says in verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Beloved, we, God is looking for men after his own heart. He's looking for men who are willing to fight even to hear what he's telling us, even fast to hear the word of the Lord. I want to tell you something. Fasting is one of the most powerful ways to bring up things that are in your heart that are in secret places that you cannot discern. When you begin to fast, your flesh begins to surface and the things that are hidden in your heart begin to come forward. And I've had more revelation about things that have been buried in my heart that God has exposed through fasting than pretty much any other discipline. So if you haven't entered that lifestyle, I really want to encourage you to do that. Um, he's, he's looking for men who have this Psalm 139 heart posture before him. Okay? I want to share a, a quick vision with you guys. God showed me this vision one time. He, said, he showed me people walking into the throne room of God. Literally, what happens when we become born again is that we begin a journey into the throne of God. If we continue to follow the Lord, we, we get closer to Him every single day. That's the whole idea is that step by step, as we obey, as we you know, respond to the things He shows us, we get closer and closer to Him. We experience greater intimacy. The other thing that happens, though, as you get closer and closer to God is that His glory and His holiness intensify. And things that a month ago or a year ago, we're okay. As you get closer to the Lord, He begins to expose those things in your heart and it's not okay anymore. And every single one of us has to get to a place where we're going to decide to either continue into greater intimacy and go closer to the throne, which is ultimately where we're all going, or to stop. And He showed me a bunch of people hitting a place where something was pricked in their heart, where something was exposed, and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm okay right here. This is far enough with the Lord. I'll just stay right here. I'm, I, you know, I'm close to God. I'm going you know, to be saved. I've got my salvation. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm comfortable. The only problem with that kind of thinking, beloved, is that the gravitational pull of the world and the darkness that's coming is so great that if you stand still and you refuse to continue to get more and more intimate with God, it will pull you out of the presence of the Lord. The pull of sin and temptation and the gravitational pull of the world in this present age, there are only two directions that we can go, beloved. Either we're getting into, walking into greater intimacy with God into eternity or we're drifting away. And I'm going to tell you, there's so many that think they're not drifting away, but they're drifting away. And before you know it, all of a sudden you look to your left and your right and you haven't heard God say one thing to you in a year, two years, five years. It's dangerous. Um, we, we really need to ask God, and I'm, and I'm praying that God is just giving you, you know, opening your heart to this idea for eyes to see and ears to hear. I'm praying that God will give you the desire to just hear the truth about where you're at. And as he brings stuff up, actually, I'm going to ask Paulie, would you hand out paper right now? Um, Paul, is he here or Blaine? Anybody who doesn't have paper, just raise your hand because we're going to go into just a time of prayer here. Just before the Lord, I'm going to ask Ben to come back up. We're going to just do one. We're going to do a song and just let God speak to our hearts about this message. 
do a very short time of, of just listening to God. And as, as you hear the Lord bring things up, I just want to encourage you, please don't harden your heart against these things. If God is bringing stuff up to you, then trust that it is not the enemy. It's not your flesh. You are in a consecrated place. God knows what we're talking about tonight. If He brings specific things up to you, then write them down. Write them down immediately. Don't put them off. If He's bringing it up now, it's for a reason, okay? We need to ask Him for a heart that's willing to willing to go here where He wants to take us. And I'm going to be praying over you guys, but before, before I pray over you guys, before we pray, I just want to share with you guys a couple testimonies that I hope will be encouraging for you. Um, the first one was that, you know, as that darkness got released over our family, you know, a lot of times God will allow the enemy to come against us Maybe that's shocking to you. But the reason why is because he wants to expose areas where we're vulnerable to the enemy. There's a lot of Christians that are crying out in spiritual warfare and saying, oh, the enemy's all over me. But they're not asking the question, well, why does he have the rights to be all over me? I just want to tell you something. There's not very many Christians who are suffering for righteousness sake right now. Very few are suffering for right. There are some, and there, you know, as you press into the things of God, God may honor you by taking you into that place. Most of our suffering is because we've opened doors or windows to the enemy, and God wants to reveal them. And sometimes He does that by bringing an attack upon us, allowing an attack to happen. He doesn't bring it, but He allows it to happen to bring us to our knees and say, God, what's going on? But most Christians are not praying and asking for understanding about why the things are happening to us that are happening to us. Because we don't want to hear that it has to do with something we might be doing. But we've got to change our whole thinking on that because God's really trying to protect us when He's revealing those things. He's trying to bring us to a place of higher consecration so that He can use us and send us into places of darkness and not be worried that we're going to get taken out when we go and we do street ministry at Sex World. Beloved, that's where we're going. We're going onto the streets of Minneapolis and there's tremendous darkness. So God is, He is purposed in His heart to make sure that all the cracks in our armor and all the open doors and windows get closed. We can't even do that without His Spirit. But I'm going to tell you a couple of them that happened to me because I got in a horrible fight with my wife and she was just, literally my wife was like breaking down. Like just distraught. On Friday night, I had a dinner with Michael. I couldn't even, I had to cancel all my appointments. I knew something was wrong. And when I went before the Lord, He began to show me some ways I was interacting with my wife that were just, they, they were not of Him. And they're ways I've interacted with my wife before. But all of a sudden, it, it was like there was more light on it. And I, and I knew something was wrong. So I went before the Lord. I said, God, you know, my flesh wants to tell me that this is all my wife. The enemy wants to tell me that this is all about my wife and she's got issues and you, know, and you know what they are, Lord, because I've shown them to you. I've listed them out before. We've gone over her issues before. So I don't need to tell you again. But God, would you do something about her? Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I tried that. But I got no peace. Because God wasn't interested in my wife. God was interested in me. 
And I want to challenge you in this way. Blaine challenged me. I ended up confessing to him too. He said, you know, a lot of times when our wife is manifesting, oftentimes it's because of open doors that we have as husbands. Rude awakening. I'm going to tell you something. The majority of the time, often, uh, let me say this, often, the issue is we've opened a door and we've released darkness upon our own wives and our own children. And when they manifest back at us, it's God's way of saying, hey, your wife is like a canary in the coal mine. When something's going wrong with her, it means you need to come before me and find out what's going on with you. Our wives being messed up is often an indication that we ain't right with God and we've opened a door, we've opened a window and then they start manifesting. We go, see God, look, they're manifesting. And God's going, hey, take that finger and just turn it around and ask me to speak into your heart. I'm more than willing to tell you what the issues are, how the enemy has been able to infiltrate your house because you're the covering. Okay. I'm not saying it's that way all the time. I'm just saying many times. It's often a hard issue in the husband. So the Lord showed me this, that I was operating with an entitlement to honor, that I was operating in pride, that I was, being, I was operating in harshness, that I was operating in anger, that I was operating in rage, impatience. He showed me adultery and lust of the eyes. And I want to tell you something about those last two. He had me confess all those to my wife before my wife and, and him. I'm going to tell you something. The bar is going way up on this sexual purity issue, beloved. We're not talking about just playing movies in your head. I mean, we're talking about God wants to bring us to a place where we're covenanted with our eyes. He's on us, man. I mean, if you're willing to submit to this, He'll be all over you. Which is good. It's good. It's awesome. Because guess what? When you, when you submit to it, you get intimacy with Him. You're going to hear from Him more. You're going to hear His voice. You're going to do the works of the kingdom. The blessing of, the, of, of submitting to this lifestyle is your life is going to account for much in the coming age. Be a slave of righteousness instead of a slave of sin. But we need to understand, beloved, that our choice to choose one life or another impacts a lot of people. It's way bigger than just us. You know, I want to share one more with you today. I, I got a word about, I got a word when I was in Uganda about getting off of sugar. I'm just telling you guys, God's getting really serious with me about this stuff, okay? He gave me a word about sugar, and I, you know, I came back, and I've been, I have not been obeying that word. I've been eating sugared cereal, I've been, I've been eating desserts, I've been eating ice cream. I was, I, I, in fact, I went to lunch today with Ben. This is how cool God is, because, you know, he's getting me ready for this message, Ben's like, I I'm eating this like caramel pecan roll at the table, just loving it. I'm like, hey, dude, you want some? He's like, no, man, I'm off sugar. <laughs> I was like, oh, Jesus. I want to tell you something scary about I got totally convicted. You know something scary about it, though? I like powered my way through the rest of the pecan roll. I'm just being real with you guys, man. I'm just telling you that God's dealing with me, okay? He's dealing with me. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. I went home. I went home after that. And just before I was getting ready to leave, I mean, I, literally I had like the last finishing touches to put on the message. I'm like, babe, I got to go. I don't... She goes, man, I'm not feeling right. I am not feeling right. Man, physically, I'm not feeling right. I've got dizzy and I, you know, 
basically she started describing symptoms of like sugar overdosing. I mean, like, you know, like your blood sugar level's not right. Like, di- you know, diabetic kind of symptoms. And I didn't make the connection yet. She was like, she's like, can you pray for me? And I'm like, so, I, you know, I'm doing this message. I'm like, God, would you just show her if there's anything she needs to repent for? And then at the end I go, or me. And immediately he brought up sugar. He said, you're in disobedience and you've released this in your own house. So she's got symptoms of like sugar overdose, and she's like, and then he asked me this question. He said, now are you willing to turn away from sugar now that you know what the consequences are? I just got done writing that down on the paper. He said, now that you know what the consequences are in your own house, are you willing to turn away from this? I said, yep. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. All right. Let's just close our eyes and posture our hearts before the Lord on this. What we're going to do is we're just going to ask Him if you're willing. We're going to ask Him for a Psalm 139 heart. We're going to ask Him to help us walk in this because, brothers, it's not just about one meeting tonight. And I know it's going late. Oh, well. It's a 24-7 kingdom. Welcome. I love you guys. This is, this is really fundamental stuff. We have got to get this if we're going to survive in the coming days. So, Father, I just come before you. I submit my own heart and my brother's hearts. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you give us even a desire to, to, to receive this heart of David, this heart that says, Search me, O God. Search me, O God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me. We give you blank check authority, God. We don't just say that you're Lord. We're going to actually give you lordship tonight. Give you permission to speak to us even when we don't want to hear the message. Would you point out anything in us, O God, that offends you? Would you lead us in the way everlasting? The way everlasting is to see the things that don't line up with you in your heart and, to, and just to confess and to repent those things. Father, I'm just asking, would you release a grace for fasting? If you have called some of these brothers to enter into a lifestyle of fasting so they can hear you, would you give them a desire to have eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you grant that grace? Would you remove those blocks of the flesh and of the enemy that get in the way of us even wanting to hear Father, would you forgive us for pushing away your voice? And I ask right now, if there are things that you've been trying to bring up in my brother's hearts that they've been pushing away, would you forgive them? I just ask in Jesus' name. And, and they know who they are. Maybe they can even ask you for forgiveness for pushing it away. Would you bring it back now? Would you just make it clear as we just sit in your presence? For the next five to seven, ten minutes, the next five to ten minutes, this whole word was to get us to this place. I just pray, oh God, you'd wash away anything else that's distracting us right now, how tired we are or anything else, and just come and minister. Holy Spirit, would you come and bring things up that are on your heart that you want us to turn away from? Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's offense. Maybe it's hurts or wounds that are in our heart. 
Maybe it's a place of brokenness in our identity that we're, we've been camped out on. And you're saying, you know what? I've healed you of that. I've delivered you of that. You don't need to be in that place anymore. You don't need to call yourself broken. I call you whole. Maybe it's sexual immorality. Maybe it's how we've been treating our wives, how we've been treating our children. Maybe it's idols that are in our hearts, things that have a part of our hearts that you are coming and contending with. I just pray, Lord, that you'd release that Psalm 139 heart. And as you speak to us, that we would be the pen of a ready writer and we would just write those things down. We'd stop pushing them away. We'd just let you speak and just we'd, we'd get real with you tonight and we'd get real with each other. I just want to encourage you, brothers, as God brings, thing up, brings things up, this is one of the times where if you haven't been hearing from him, if, if thoughts come into your heart or into your mind, it's the Lord. You can trust that it's the Lord. Believe me, Satan is not going to bring up sin in your life so that you can repent. That's right. And your flesh is not going to bring up sin in your life so you can repent and be healed. So as you hear, just, just write down the things that God is writing down and we're going to just go into a time, a short time of worship. Everybody just stay in that place of listening.
Just ask that your spirit would push past the walls that we've erected around our hearts that don't want to see that part of ourselves. shows you different things just write them down we're going to have a little more time here but as you feel like the Lord's given you the main things that are on his heart that he's showing you remember what he says in the word if we say without sin we're calling God a liar so all of us all of us have work to do believe me it's not like you know Anybody's arrived, but we really want to be open to God being able to bring correction in our lives and to show us things. And so as you feel like God may be finishing up with you and you have one or two things or maybe you have more than that and you see others are others are finishing as well, then I just want to release you to get together with one or two other brothers the whole idea behind this is that we confess and we repent before our brothers and ask them to pray for us. That's how we're going to get free. If we keep keep the things in our hearts and we don't bring them before the Lord and before others, then there's no way for God to move in that. So if you're seeing stuff, if God's bringing stuff up in your heart, maybe it's stuff from a long time ago and you didn't even remember it. Wow, God, he remembers, he sees it. Maybe it's something you need healing for. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that you did as sin. But as you've got a few things and you see others, you can go ahead and connect with them and then just begin to pray for one another. Ben will keep playing here for about another five minutes or so and, and then just begin sharing with each other and praying for one another. We need Jesus. Jesus. 